You must be at least 18 years of age to listen to the following podcast. This Endorphin High edition of Sexual Heroes can be found in the library at Endorphin High School of BDSM. Visit the school and library at endorphinhigh.org. Robert Black, and you are listening to Sexual Heroes. If anyone deserves the title Sexual Hero, it's Bob Miller. This grassroots civil rights and litigation attorney is the president, executive director, and co-founder of the Cleveland Leather Annual Weekend, better known by its acronym CLAW. In addition to the original event, CLAW is now also being produced annually in Los Angeles. The event features hundreds of exhibitors and breakout sessions led by kink educators. Since beginning in 2002, CLAW has donated nearly a million dollars to organizations within the leather community. Bob is the founder and executive director of the Leather Hall of Fame, which recognizes individuals and organizations that have made substantial contributions to the community. Since 2014, he has been on the Leather Archives and Museum Board of Directors and co-chair of the Development Committee. Bob is on the International Mr. Leather Board of Directors, as well as being a trustee for the Renslow Memorial Trust. He is board chair for Community Academic Consortium for Research on Alternative Sexualities, general manager for Alpha Tribe Magazine's USA edition, the founding director of Fetish Alliance, a worldwide network of fetish business leaders, and he's an associate member of the Chicago Hellfire Club. His awards include the 2016 Leather Leadership Award from the National LGBTQ Task Force, the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Leather Association, and the 2021 Los Angeles Leatherman of the Year, Payasos Nutcracker Award. Hey, Bob Miller, thanks for being on Sexual Heroes today. Well, I'm glad to be here, Robert. Thank you. You wrote that you came out as gay decades before coming out as a leather man. When you say that, do you mean specifically to your family, your parents, or in a more general way? Uh, Definitely to my family and parents, but also in a more general way. People that I worked with, friends, certainly found out I was gay long before, most of them long before uh, they found out anything about leather or uh, our dynamics. But you did eventually come out to your family about leather and power dynamics, BDSM? I did. The family, it was much later. I grew up in a really loving, wonderful family, but it wasn't a family that talked about sex at all. Mm -hmm. As an adult, like I kind of took to it very easily, but I didn't get the same feeling from my five older sisters. So I'm curious. I came out to my parents as gay at 15 and didn't get a good reaction then. At in my early 30s, I I did let them know that I was doing porn. For some reason, it never even occurred to me to talk to my family about the specifics of my sex life, being the interest in kink. Why do you think that was important to you to even address that? It it actually became more important when 
law became my day job, which it did almost 10 years ago. And even before it was when I was still a volunteer, but I was consuming my life, make vague references to Cleveland and fundraising and gay. And they never got the whole story. And it just felt dishonest and, and uncomfortable. It was easier to let it out. So ultimately I did. You were close to your parents. I was. I had a terrific family, very close to my parents and my siblings. Well, we got married. Well, Jim and I got married, which wasn't until 2014. It was here in Palm Springs. There's a big sort of surprisingly popular destination wedding with all these people coming from Claw, from the leather community, from family, from academia, from every part of life, you know, high school, friends. So we knew they were all going to be together and they were all going to learn a bunch of stuff. So we just... We helped that along. The worlds were going to collide whether you liked it or not. Uh, yeah, and it was terrific. Our wedding was one of the few where the wedding was, in a way, more fun than the um, than the reception. It involved everybody that was there. There were 80 people there, and they all were involved. <laughs> How so? I mean, I'm an event guy, so I, of course, could not do anything simple. I went around for two months buying... Uh, you know, secondhand champagne glasses so that everyone eventually had 80 of them. In advance of the wedding, they got color-coded with different types of ribbon, different colors of ribbon, depending on uh, certain categories of people. And some some glasses had more than one color. Then during the wedding, all, each of the colors were explained. And so people would be able to see who they were sitting next to, where they came from. And they everyone from that group would have to stand up when they were announced. And, uh, so it was like an icebreaker. We also let everybody drink for at least an hour before the ceremony started. <laughs> was one of the colors to identify you as a kinkster? Black leather was black leather uh, ribbon was uh, that you're a kinkster. And then if there was a also a sort of leather flag uh, blue uh, ribbon, that meant that you were also part of CLAW. A lot of people were both mm. those things. And purple was from Minnesota. Go Vikings. <laughs> to add to your first question, I started riding a motorcycle because it was a way to explain wearing leather all the time. And I know a lot of, a lot of guys do that or did that. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm not a motorhead, machine head guy. In my late 20s, I thought this would be great. It is great. Because when you're on a motorcycle, you wear leather every day. Leather is a big part of your identity. It's not just about being kinky. The, the gear itself, yeah. yeah. You wrote, I have always been a bottom who looks and acts like a top. Can you explain that? So I'm a bottom. I've mm-hmm. always been fat. I'm big and tall and masculine and you know self-assured and socially adept. Uh, and I wear leather and I ride a motorcycle. I, I appear to a lot of people as a top, but I'm not. <laughs> mm, the response to you with that, with those traits has been people expect you to be a top. Or, I really expect or really want me to be a top or looking for that 10% active thing. <laughs> and that 10% is not there for you. Is that right? No, it's not really there. No. So hmm. you, you held a title. Yeah, wait for it. Uh, Mr. West Michigan Leather 2001. Following that, you did run at IML. I did. 
I'm misquoting you now probably, but you just, you said if you had seriously wanted to, to win, did you not? I was there mostly to have fun. I did not prep the way some of those contestants did. I mean, I, I can point to an interview question that I, uh, I was a, it was a gimme. It was a gift and I uh, totally uh, blew it. The, the question was from a, friendly judge, uh, what is uh, the thing you're most proud of in your life? That's a question you can be ready for. I had been a, an attorney. I had done gay rights impact litigation for land illegal. I had won cases that uh, were supposed to, or, uh, people said we weren't going to win and I managed to win them. Any of that, they would have beaten it up. I said, Oh, I was so strong when I broke up with my last boyfriend. Ridiculous. Hmm. Did you sabotage yourself? I didn't sabotage myself. I just didn't prepare. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I guess I didn't go in with the sort of this is a job interview, and mm -hmm. you, know, you got to treat it like that. And that's what came to your mind. Yeah, that's what came to my mind. Crazy. <laughs> You're a co-founder of Claw, and when. That concept was developed. It was, it very purposefully did not have a contest connected with it. Correct. So I'm curious. There are many events, obviously, that are connected to contests. And I know that a large percentage of event attendees won't even go to the contest. Why was it important that this event that you co-founded not have a contest in it? What did that enable you to do that you couldn't do if there was a contest? I mean, it was literally the first thing out of my mouth after the word yes, uh, that I would help uh, Dennis uh, create something in Cleveland. I didn't know how great an idea that was at that moment, but I knew it was a good idea because we were going around the country to all these step-down uh, events of our, our ML brothers. You know, contest weekends are about a few people on stage and uh, a few people that are uh, involved in judging it and running it. They don't involve uh, the majority of the people there. By not having that, it opened up every other possibility. We didn't know all the things that Claude does. We didn't know all of those things at the beginning. But uh, because we weren't having a contest, we had to do something else. I mean, very quickly it became the idea was it would be a nonprofit, it would be a, like a charity weekend, and we could have a, a silent auction, and we could have some education, and we could have a field trip, and we could involve the Cleveland area a nonprofit community, uh, and then from there, everybody else's idea for what it also could include, there was room for it. Uh, there is room for it, and Claw continues to diversify based on other people's good ideas. Mm. Uh, we have 120 or 140. Um, so there's lots to choose from. Right. It ends up staying small in a way because if you're into fisting or into sex with robots or you know, uh, whatever it might be, you go to that class and there's between three and 30 people there. We have eight different banquets. In L.A., uh, they allow more um, sexual content in the hotel. So uh, L.A. Claw in particular was terrific for that. We had uh, 
not only was the BDSM dungeon party in the hotel, horse market was in the hotel. So literally just fucking event, Piazza's uh, events were a mixture of dancing and cruising and sex, spanking parties and nasty king pigs parties. If you did have a contest connected with Claw, that would require a whole another set of hands on deck just to deal with that. Lots of time and energy. It's a rule, though. We, we don't have to right. have to yeah. so. Right. Well, th- th- yeah. So the benefit is you don't have to put any energy in, into that. It's You can focus on yep. that education. Yep. And we have speed dating. I mean, that's another big mm-hmm. part of cause. We like to still keep thinking about it, what's important for, especially for younger guys, I guess. The important thing is they want to be with that man. They want to meet that man. Speed dating is a terrific way for that to happen. You sign up as a bottom or a top, and mm-hmm. you're into ass play or, or SM or smoking or uh, whatever it is. In 45 minutes, you meet 10 guys on the opposite spectrum, uh, side of the spectrum uh, in that activity. They're not all going to be your ex-partner, obviously, but one of them, one or two of them might. Uh, you definitely make friends. Beautiful things happen from speed dating. I'm going to sign up for that next time. I didn't, I didn't do it, unfortunately. <laughs> Kyle and Glenn, I don't know if you know Kyle and Glenn, Kyle, who produced uh, or co-produced uh, Palm Street Village of Pride, met this guy, Glenn, that's speed dating at Claw. They, they're still together. Oh, wow. That's Eight cool. Later. <laughs> yeah. I did make use of the dungeon, though. Oh, good. The dungeon was great. LA is such a wonderful place to organize an event because there's this huge, talented community and Avatar. I mean, they, Totally ran that for us. Yeah. Avatarly. Knocked it out of the park. They did. I wanted to ask you about your relationships. You've had several long-term relationships over the years. To what degree has leather and BDSM been a part of those relationships? Oh, to a very big degree. Not as much now. I will say that from age, you know, before 20 to... Um, not that long ago, was critically important. Yeah, all of my relationships had a dom-sub element, had a gear and a BDSM element. Actually, my current relationship, which is relatively new, is less of that. It's wonderful. He's a top. I mean, it's not like I'm giving up on that, but <laughs> it isn't as focused on those things as my past relationships yeah. I mean, the, long, the longest relationship was Jim. And how long was that? 16 years, I guess, yeah. if you, depending on how you measure it. And it did start off as master-slave, and Jim was sort of newer to it. He wasn't of the community uh, the way I was. I think all relationships are, are unique. Any, uh, any two people, any combination of two people, it's going to be unique. So our, and ours was no different. And in the beginning, he tried to, you know, he read books and stuff, he tried to be very formulaic, and, and he realized that that really isn't going to work for whatever reason or combination of reasons. And next thing I know, he's meeting his work colleagues because uh, they're smart and funny and witty and so am I, and so why shouldn't we all get to know each other and I should know everything about Jim's life. So he was ready to retire early from, he was a professor in school in Wisconsin and um, moved to this house in the woods where I lived in Michigan. I did not expect 
someone to move there. I thought I would move wherever the man I met lived. And so at the beginning there, they're certainly as close to a master slave as uh, lifestyle as, as I'd been, at least for a couple of years. And over time, you know, the rest of the world is important too. It, it's difficult maintaining a 24-7 master-slave relationship or any power dynamic relationship over an extended period of time. Yeah. When there's piles of laundry that need to be tended to and decisions about where you're going for dinner and cleaning the house and just out everyday life and going to work and and trying to keep it dom-sub 24-7. Most people cannot do it. Indeed. What would you tell people who have that fantasy of 24-7 master-slave? What would you say to them? Would you say it's possible? Would you Would you have a, a suggestion for them? I would say if it's their fantasy, then they should respect that. I respect that. I uh, They definitely should pursue that in some way, but they should... Remember that life is very dynamic and they are a omnidimensional being. And when it comes right down to it, it's either the fantasy master slave is either going to be impossible or not as pleasant as they think. They should be open to just being themselves and, and allowing their partner to be themselves and letting the relationship uh, be its own thing and and don't label yourself. I think the words master and slave are actually somewhat problematic too. We're almost better off without the label. I think that you just mentioned the laundry and the housekeeper. I mean, I had no trouble continuing to do that. So I'm wired, very service oriented and very task oriented and very energetic and Jim is very, very good at leisure. <laughs> but when it came to, you know, deciding stuff, interacting with people professionally and socially, uh, I wanted to be myself and he wanted to be with me. So I didn't uh, appear like a, a slave to anybody. Person that we're then giving advice to, it's yourself, seek happiness. Don't uh, foreclose some happiness because it doesn't fit into the fantasy. I'm in a, I would say, a kink discordant relationship now that's almost, we're almost 20 years in, and it's going very well like that. So I think, you know, so it's every relationship is different. Yep. At IML, you did have a speech prepared, or at least a theme for a speech prepared. And I'm going to read your dis- your description of that speech that you had sent me. You wrote, Our world is still in the early stages of understanding sex. Leather and BDSM were, and for most, still are, hidden, deviant, unhealthy, illegal, and more. But I foresee a day in the future of understanding and enlightenment, one that looks back at the leather communities that emerged beginning in the 1950s and regards us as heroic trailblazers. We stood up to that widespread condemnation and taught each other the truth about our loving and healthy spirits. You never got to deliver that speech. It seems like you really have had a life that that you set out to have. Yeah, well, I didn't set out to have it initially. I mean, 
IML did end up being a turning point in my life. Up until that point, I was not a leather community guy at all. I was I was into leather. I was into men. I liked meeting and, and having, experiencing, and pleasing the best uh, dominant men uh, that would have me. didn't think of it uh, in, in the way, like, uh, as a community or as anything more than you know, how I was interacting uh, with one man at a time, so to speak. When I started CLAW, and when CLAW became successful and ended up sort of taking over my life and you know became my job, ultimately, I was no longer a lawyer anymore. I was this organizer. A lot of grat- different gratification came to me uh, as a result of that. You know, I get these emails from people after CLAW is over thanking me and telling me uh, about what happened and how significant it, it was to them and is to them, whether they met someone or tried something or, you know, learned something about themselves. Uh, the life will never be the same. And it's all because of me and the people that work with me. And that's really great stuff. As one does, you look back on after a period of years and am I on the right path? Am I doing uh, what I uh, want to be doing? Because you know, it's obviously not for the money. I've made more money at all the other jobs than I did at this one. And I think that I did make the right choice to take this road less traveled. So back to the speech. I, one of the ways I like to explain it is Oscar Wilde. Is, my favorite quote of Oscar Wilde is, uh, everything is about sex, except for sex. That's about power. That really resonates with me. And uh, what that means for me is that everybody's a little bit kinky. We've not allowed to think of it that way. We don't talk about it that way. Sex, you know, penetration is a powerful thing, uh, no matter who's doing it to whom. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. Uh, Fetishes for gear or different activities are not wrong. And we didn't know that until we started meeting each other and realizing how could it be wrong if this wonderful person also likes it. So looking into the future, um, how far we've come and where we're going, what's your, what's your plan or your vision? My plan is to, you know, I'm 62 now. I'm going to try and enjoy the rest of my uh, life and not take on too much. Um, I'm actually stepping aside a bit from my duties with CLAW starting next year. Uh, I've always wanted to, to write write things besides emails that are very persuasive and uh, effective. And so I'm going to allow myself time to do that. You know, in terms of the world learning what it needs to know about sex, that's not going to happen in our lifetime exactly, but someday it will. All these other fields of study have been studied for centuries. Uh, sex, for the most part, most societies, it was it was not uh, proper. It wasn't allowed to be studied. Not much happened until 100 years ago. Most cultures, you couldn't even write about it in fiction. Lady Chatterley's lover was scandalous just because it was extramarital sex. The people who are going to follow you step into your shoes, what parting thoughts would you like to share with them or what do you hope they will achieve? My, my wish 
for the people that follow me is to continue to make it about the people that are there and their ideas and what they want to get out of it. Um, and make sure that uh, you always remember that uh, the sexual connection is why they want to be there, why it's so interesting, why these incredibly talented people that get paid, you know, huge amounts of money to do their jobs in real life uh, will come to Cleveland or LA and do it for us for free. It's because that leather sex is so special, so, so important. Core to our being. Well, thank you, Bob Miller, for being on Sexual Heroes today. And thank you for everything you've done for our community. Thank you for having me. Honored and impressed. And uh, that's all you lived for 20 years as a lucky guy. That's for sure. <laughs> thank you. Information about each guest is included in the show notes, along with links to my XXX homepage, Twitter account, and Patreon page. Patrons get early access to episodes. You can help me grow my audience by telling a friend today to visit sexualheroes.com and be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>